Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and for Easter we are praying the Regina Chaley. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Queen of heaven, rejoice. Alleluia. The Son whom you merited to bear. Alleluia. Has risen as he said. Alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary. Alleluia. For the Lord has truly risen. Alleluia. Let us pray. O God, who through the resurrection of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, did vouchsafe to give joy to the world, grant, we beseech you, that through his mother, the Virgin Mary, we may obtain the joys of everlasting life through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Indiana is slowly starting to reopen, and on this episode, Bishop talks about public liturgies resuming in our diocese. Then it's on to a matriarch of the Old Testament, Rebecca, the wife of Isaac. Afterwards, St. Matthias and how much we don't know about him. And as we're in what would have been prom season, Bishop shares a little about his high school experience. If you have a question for a future show, send a text to the Holy Cross College text line. 260-436-9598. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop, and we've got a lot of changes that are happening in the near future regarding our parishes and the diocese and starting to reopen things. And I know, Bishop, you've said that your schedule hasn't lightened up any, that you're still just as busy, but things have changed a lot, obviously. So how has your schedule been affected for better or for worse because of the pandemic? Well, I think, you know, not having public liturgies, you mm -hmm. know, this would have been an extremely busy time. I'd be out doing a lot of confirmations, right. of course, the baccalaureate masses, et cetera. So do you do those at all four high schools? I usually? do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now they're going to be delayed until July, but the, and the confirmations will be, I don't know when there's a lot that I'll yeah. have to try to do. And I already have a fall schedule. But as far as the workload, however, the administrative part of my my work, that, that has really increased because not only all the decision-making that needs to go on with mm -hmm. the pandemic, but liturgical things, et cetera. You know, I've been doing the live stream masses and then all the financial issues that have arisen because of this, you know, in our parishes and schools mm -hmm. and a heavy volume of correspondence. So, yeah, it's not been easier. It's been harder probably more, a lot more administrative work than I would even normally have. Sure. Well, the governor has said that we can start to not go back to normal, but start to kind of a roll out a, an opening of businesses and even giving religious organizations a, a lot more freedom to have their religious services. Yeah. And it seems like maybe as a Catholic church, we're being a little bit more cautious, taking a little bit more time rolling out, opening up our Sunday masses. Can you talk a little bit about that decision and how yeah. you, this was something unified as the, the Indiana bishops? Well, as far as a, a date, we were unified that we would all uh, lift the suspension on public masses by 
the Pentecost weekend, May 30th and 31st. Okay. So I think some dioceses will wait till actually then I've allowed public masses the weekend before when mm-hmm. we celebrate the Feast of the Ascension. But really other churches, non-Catholic churches, to be honest, they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. Some are not opening until June with services and some even earlier in May. So there's a, a real diversity about mm-hmm. how this will happen. Basically, I follow Governor Holcomb's back on track roadmap to safely reopen Indiana and, and really trying to follow the guidelines for fit, uh, places of worship. You know, I've done a lot of consultation, especially with healthcare experts and reading a lot. So, so I decided to lift the suspension on public liturgies here in our diocese beginning the weekend of May 23rd and 24th. As mm-hmm. I mentioned, that's the Feast of the Ascension of the Lord. As far as the restrictions, it is really important that we be extremely careful to try everything we can to avoid people getting infected. Mm-hmm. So I think you've seen in the letter that I wrote to the faithful, and I think it's going to be in this week's Today's Catholic, but it was on the website and social media last week even, but attendance is going to have to be limited because we're going to need to have social distancing in the churches. So as a minimum, people can be seated only in every other pew and then six feet between people except for if they're in the same household, they can be closer. But mm-hmm. but basically trying to maintain that social distancing, you know, there's probably nothing more important that we can do to prevent the spread of the virus than, than staying distant. Now, that's not just in the church. I mean, it's important that in the parking lot or in the front of the church right. that people stay distant from one another. Another thing is... Um, wearing of masks, another very, very important precaution. People have opposite opinions on this. You know, what is so important? I mean, I got a couple of letters where people are saying, oh, I shouldn't be required to wear a mask. I I can take that risk. Hmm. Well, no, it's not about them. Right. It's about other people. I mean, actually wearing a mask doesn't really protect us very much. It doesn't really protect the person wearing the mask very much. The problem is the virus is communicated through the air, droplets in the air, et cetera. And this prevents, you know, except what might escape from the sides, but mm-hmm. that, that prevents infecting other people. It's right. not about, it, it can't be about me. Right. It has to be about others. So we have to, you know, that selfishness really bothers me. But actually, I don't think it's necessarily selfishness. I think it's just a lot of people don't understand. Mm-hmm. They don't understand how this is transmitted or that this could endanger other people. But if someone's uncomfortable wearing a mask, you know, they don't have to go to mass. You know? Because there's still a dispensation right. for the Sunday obligation. Right, right. There's still the dispensation. We've extended it to at least August 15th. Okay. And someone will say, well, if I know I'm not infected, why do I have to wear a mask? Well, you really don't know mm-hmm. because, you know, you could be asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. We've, we've learned so much about this from our healthcare workers and experts that this virus, a lot of times it's transmitted by people who are asymptomatic that, that have no symptoms. So they don't even know they're infected. So anyhow, that's, um, that's something that is required. And also, I think it's important that if a local area of our diocese has stricter directives, maybe because of a 
particular outbreak in one of our counties, then we're going to be following their directives in that county. Okay. So let's say, for example, the health officials and the government in St. Joseph County or, or elsewhere says, really, you know, we can't allow this yet. Then we would follow their directives as well. As far as I know at this point, none of our counties has given stricter restrictions than what are in the government governor's plan for for Indiana. Okay. I've also allowed First Holy Communion Masses this coming weekend, May 17th and 18th. We're not really calling them public masses because the attendance is limited to mm-hmm. the first communicants and their families and invited guests. And of course, there would be the social distancing, et cetera. Every other pew. Every other masks. pew and the six feet between people who aren't of the same family. Mm-hmm. Now, some pastors may have decided to to do that to have First Communion Masses this weekend. Others have decided that they're not ready yet. And that's fine because I've left it up to the pastors to decide sure. if their parishes are prepared. Obviously, they have to be prepared with things like all the, the restrictions that need to be enforced, the disinfecting, for example, mm-hmm. of pews and all those kinds of things. And you have to also be very careful about music. We're not, I think most parishes, there won't be music at the masses because singing is a way that spreads the virus because even more than talking, you know, there's greater force in one's breath that, sure. that can uh, extend the, the virus in the air. Um, so a lot of places may just have like maybe a cantor who is like a soloist to provide some music or maybe just instrumental music. So that's another thing that we're working on to give guidance to the parishes about, about that whole issue. I think our uh, Office of Worship will be putting more out this week to, to provide that necessary guidance to pastors about and parishes about uh, how to handle music. Mm-hmm. So it's been a lot, as you can imagine. And, and you know, no one's going to agree, you know, with right. everything. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, we see that in the public. People have very, very different opinions. I think we're taking a reasonable approach. Mm-hmm. I really do. I understand everyone's not going to agree. And of course, you know, it'll probably be about, I mean, attendance is going to be pretty much limited to about a third of the capacity of the church in order to have that social distancing. Uh, of course, that has to be worked out in uh, each parish. I was glad the governor didn't give a number because really a number isn't helpful right. here because we have different sized churches. Sure. I mean, 50 people would be too many in a small church, Yeah. you know, but a very large church could accommodate more than 50 and follow the social distancing guidelines. So, and a lot of people, I was thinking about those people who were in RCIA and are Mm. waiting to be, to receive the sacraments of initiation that they would have received at the Easter vigil. I've uh, suggested the vigil mass of Pentecost, uh, which is May 30th, because if you've ever been to the uh, vigil of Pentecost, it's a little like the Easter vigil because you can do what's called the extended form vigil of the Mass of Pentecost, which would have four readings from the Old Testament rather than just one. And it would, you know, have the Gloria and everything, the epistle and the gospel. And then the sacraments of initiation would be celebrated after the homily. So there would be these similarities to the Easter vigil. Now, again, I left that up to the pastors, but I think a lot of them will be doing the initiation of adults at that vigil mass on of Pentecost on May 30th. Mm-hmm. 
I haven't really rescheduled my confirmation masses. I might do a few small ones in the coming weeks just to kind of see how it goes because, you know, I'd have to wear a mask myself. Priests need to wear masks when they're distributing Holy Communion, not during Mass. There's no need for a priest to, because he's going to be physically distant. Um, but when he gives communion, he's going to be close to people. So, And the same thing with me when I'm confirming kids. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a vector for the virus. I mm-hmm. mean, if I'm asymptomatic, I, I don't want to be breathing and infecting people. So, you know, all those precautions for the safety of our people need to be followed. Um, you know, and, and we want to especially have caution for People who are over 65 or have high-risk health conditions, of course, the governor has has uh, encouraged those people not to go out, to stay at home. And although they're not prevented from uh, attending mass, it's safer to stay at home, mm-hmm. you know, have a lot of care for, for those who, who, if they are infected, according to statistics, they would be in much greater danger of very serious illness or even death. I really encourage people not to look for ways to get around the regulations. I mean, it's not about that. It, you know, we, we need to, we don't want a rebound effect. You mm-hmm. know, if there's a rebound effect that could force us to take steps back and even force us to, to suspend public liturgies again. Right. And that's the last, you know, we don't want that to happen. Uh, so I hope that's helpful. Are you, any other things you've been hearing or questions you might have? Kyle? Well, I guess maybe... You mentioned that the dispensation is still in effect, so there's not the obligation to attend Mass. There's always the obligation to keep holy the Sabbath, and we should be you know, celebrating at home and having intentional time of prayer, hopefully you know, watching a live streaming Mass as a, as a family or as individuals. But there's not the obligation to go to a Mass in person, and especially for those that are at risk, you know, you mentioned they should stay home so they don't put themselves in danger. What about those that are healthy and are trying to decide, is it a good idea for me to maybe take my whole family into a mass and and be at risk of putting ourselves or somebody else in danger where it's not obligated to do so? Should we stay at home and watch mass there? What, how would you advise somebody to make that decision? Oh, my goodness. That's a tough question, Kyle. I, I don't, I think it's... I don't know that I would give advice myself. I think uh, that's up to each, especially up to the parents, you know, Um, because there's no right or wrong in this. I mean, I think if they opt to stay home, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, But keep holy the Lord's day, you know, watch a live stream mass, be sure to pray together as a family, et cetera. But I don't think they should feel pressure to go to mass. However, from what I've been hearing, a lot are very eager to get back to Mass. Sure. So, yeah, that would be, and, and that's why it's fine. And as long as they are willing and uh, able to, to do the precautions that, that we're asking for. Okay. And will you still be doing live streaming for Masses? I'm not sure. I know I will the next couple weekends, okay. but, you know, I'll probably be out in other parishes with, with certain Masses if I okay. do a few confirmations or whatever. So it'll depend on whether, you know, whether it's possible to live stream those Masses. I know that uh, I will be the next two weekends. So okay. at least through May 24th or whatever it is, May 25th, 
24th, whatever that Sunday is, I'll, I'll still be uh, live streaming. Yeah, it's the 24th. So that Feast of the Ascension, when public liturgies are resumed, I'll still be live streaming on at least on that Sunday. Okay. And of course, next Sunday, May 17th, I will. So will that Mass be open to the public then? No. Or that would be a private Mass? No, because mass it's um, live streaming. The, uh, the Masses... Because the cathedral masses are already, they're already going to be open. But okay. it would just be difficult to do the live stream because with people there, because then we'd have to reorganize how we do it. Sure, uh, sure. Because of, you know, the backs of people, et cetera. So, yeah. Okay. At least I haven't thought about that. I, I, <laughs> at, at this point, there might be some, like if I, if I decide to confirm a few students at one of those masses, then there would be some people there. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, people can find more information on the diocesan website. Always keep up to date there, the statement that you made, as well as some of the directives. Uh, also, contact your local parish to find out how they're implementing this and, and if there's something that you can do to help. I know they're going to need extra volunteers for wiping down pews and sanitizing things. So if you're willing to stay afterwards or come early before, I'm sure they could put yeah. you to work. So Yeah. And you know what? providing masks. I know people yeah. have been making homemade masks. So maybe at your parish, they would like, you know, they could use some masks to give to people when they arrive in case they don't have masks. Right. So there might be other things that uh, your parishes need. So yeah, it'd be good to volunteer. All right. Well, coming up, we're going to continue our series talking about the matriarchs of the Old Testament. We talked about Sarah, the wife of Abraham, and now we're going to talk about Rebecca coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services to save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And last week we started a series for the month of May talking about the matriarchs of the Old Testament. Uh, we started with Sarah. How many matriarchs are there? Well, let's see. There's Sarah. There's Rebecca. There's Rachel. There's Leah. That might be it. Yeah. From the book of Genesis. Okay. Yeah. The wives of the patriarchs. can't remember. Joseph. Did, who, who was Joseph's wife? I have to look back at my Bible history, Kyle. Okay. So we talked about Sarah. She had a name change from Sarai. Rebecca just stays Rebecca. So Sarah was whose wife? Abraham. Very good, Kyle. Abram. Excellent. So you were paying attention. I, I'm trying. <laughs> so Rebecca's the wife of whom? Uh, Jacob. Oh. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Isaac. <laughs> Isaac. The... Yeah, so we're going in order here. So gotcha. yeah, Abraham's yeah. son, Isaac. <laughs> yes. Now Jacob will be Isaac's son, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay. So let's think about Isaac. So when you, I mean, the story of Rebecca uh, really begins with a request by Abraham. He had a servant, his oldest servant, 
And Abraham, you can read about this in Genesis chapter 24, by the way. Abraham said to his servant, you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son, Isaac. So the servant, of course, is going to be loyal and obey his master, Abraham. But he had a concern. He said, he, he basically said to Abraham, but what if the woman won't be willing to, to follow me to this land, you know, come back with me. And Abraham reassured him that God would send his angel before him, making it possible for Isaac to marry a wife from there. So Abraham's servant set out. He got to a place, a well, actually, outside the city of Abraham's brother. In, it's in Mesopotamia. And when he got outside the city, he prayed to God. And this is what he said. Please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water. And the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So the idea, I mean, it's kind of interesting that if he would know it's the right woman, if she's the, if she not only gives him a drink, but says that she'll give his camels a drink. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> like, give me a sign. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so out comes Rebecca and she arrived at the well and Abraham's servant asked her for a drink. And she did. And she said, I will draw water for your camels also. Mm-hmm. So that was the sign that she was the one. So she was the one God had chosen to be the wife of Isaac. Now, this whole story then, if you read Genesis chapter 24, the whole story is repeated again, twice, because when the servant gets to and visits Rebecca's family, he recounts the whole thing. Uh-huh. So it's really interesting. You think, well, I just read this. It's kind of like verbatim. So he shares that with Rebecca's father. Rebecca's father, by the way, was Bethuel. And Rebecca's brother, Laban. Laban we'll hear a little bit more about when we talk about Jacob and, and his wives, Rachel and Leah. But anyhow, so the family learns about this proposed marriage of Rebecca and Isaac, and they realize this is God's will. So they were willing to let her go with Abraham's servant to be Isaac's wife because they saw this as, yeah, the Lord has spoken, kind mm-hmm. of. So then the servant, Abraham's servant, wanted to leave immediately with Rebecca. That was, the family thought that was a little hasty. So they asked the servant to let her stay a few days. And then they said, well, let's call Rebecca. We'll call her and ask her, you know, what she wants. Hmm. So she was given a choice and, and she said that uh, she'll go right away. Do you think that was typical of the time for the woman to have a choice in the matter? I don't know. I mean, they didn't have much of a choice. I mean, yeah. the families arranged these marriages, but I think, you know, she wasn't disputing the marriage. It was about, they were asking her about the timing, you know, does okay. she want to go now or later? 
So she said she'd go now. She mm -hmm. was willing to leave her country, leave her family, live in a foreign land. So she had a lot of faith. Uh, she believed that God was guiding this. Mm -hmm. And um, so they, they bestowed a blessing upon her. And let me find that. Let me get my Bible here. I did bring my Bible along today. Uh, let's see. Yeah, this is chapter uh, 24 in verse 60. Invoking a blessing on Rebecca, they said, Sister, may you grow into thousands of myriads, and may your descendants gain possession of the gates of their enemies. It was kind of like the prophecy given to Abraham that God blessed him and he would have a multitude of descendants. Mm -hmm. Well, this is kind of the blessing. And of course, there would be a multitude. And this was in the line of Abraham, Abraham's son, Isaac. So Rebecca left with the servant. She brought along her, her nurse named Deborah and her maids. And then they, it's interesting, we then get to her meeting Isaac which is uh, a great story. Let me find the verses. This is the end of, of chapter 24, beginning with verse 61. Then Rebekah and her maids started out. They mounted their camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and went on his way. Meanwhile, Isaac had gone from Birlahai Roy and was living in the region of the Negev. One day toward evening, he went out in the field. And as he looked around, he noticed the camels were approaching. Rebecca too was looking about. And when she saw him, she alighted from her camel and asked the servant, who is the man out there walking through the fields toward us? That is my master, replied the servant. Then she covered herself with her veil. The servant recounted to Isaac all the things he had done. Then Isaac took Rebekah into his tent. He married her, and thus she became his wife. In his love for her, Isaac found solace after the death of his mother, Sarah. Hmm. It's really a, a beautiful story. Actually, I don't know if you know, that's, that's part of Genesis chapter 24 is an option for wedding masses. And to be honest, I've had a lot of wedding messes and it's rarely chosen, uh -huh. but it does, you know, recount this episode of um, the servant of Abraham going and meeting Rebecca, finding Rebecca and, and asking the, the family uh, for her to come back with him to, to marry Isaac and Isaac taking Rebecca into his tent. That's, that's a possible, that's an option for the first reading at a wedding mass. Okay. So any brides out there who like this story, you yeah. can choose this. There you go. <laughs> Continuing what happened next. The story continues with them being happily married, basically, but, but they weren't having any children. This is kind of a recurring theme right. in the Bible. Yeah. You know, she was barren. That was obviously a trial for her and for Isaac. After all, she was told she'd be the mother of myriads thousands, basically. Mm -hmm. That was the blessing, but, but she wasn't having any children. So, she, so Isaac prayed for her and God heard the prayer and she became pregnant. Now, while she was pregnant, she felt 
struggling going on in her womb. I don't know if you remember this. Right. And she was concerned about it. So let me read a little bit about this. Obviously, she was carrying twins. Uh-huh. Okay. She was carrying two. So this is, this is in chapter 25 of the book of Genesis, beginning with verse 21. Isaac entreated the Lord on behalf of his wife, since she was sterile. The Lord heard his entreaty, and Rebekah became pregnant. But the children in her womb jostled each other so much that she exclaimed, If this is to be so, what good will it do me? She went to consult the Lord, and he answered her, Two nations are in your womb. Mm -hmm. Two peoples are quarreling while still within you. But one shall surpass the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When the time of her delivery came, there were twins in her womb. The first to emerge was reddish, and his whole body was like a hairy mantle. So they named him Esau. His brother came out next, gripping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man who lived in the open, whereas Jacob was a simple man who kept to his tents. Isaac preferred Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah preferred Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the open, famished. He said to Jacob, let me gulp down some of that red stuff. I'm starving. This is why he was called Edom. But Jacob replied, first give me your birthright in exchange for it. Look, said Esau, I'm on the point of dying. What good will any birthright do me? But Jacob insisted, swear to me first. So he sold Jacob his birthright under oath. Jacob then gave him some bread and the lentil lentil stew, and Esau ate, drank, got up, and went his way. Esau cared little for his birthright. So here we have Esau, a skillful hunter, a man of the field. Isaac loved Esau. He was his firstborn. He liked what Esau was doing because he enjoyed eating, I guess, the food that he, the meat that he got. Here, Jacob was a mild man. He was dwelling in tents and Rebecca loved Jacob. So, you know, this is kind of like family dynamics. You know, you have the father really attached to the one son, the mother attached to the other. So, you know, Isaac and, and Rebecca were, you know, they were a great couple. They loved each other. As time went on, there was some trouble because... Esau took two women as his wives, and Isaac and Rebekah weren't happy because, you know, they, they didn't want Canaanite wives uh, mm. for their sons. And, you know, the Canaanites believed in, in different gods, so, mm-hmm. so they weren't happy that Esau took the two wives that he did. As Isaac became old and he, his eyesight started failing him, He wanted to confer his blessing on his oldest son, Mm -hmm. Esau. And, you know, that's the birthright, okay? They they have special honor in the family and a special portion of the inheritance. And Rebecca knew this was going to happen. And she went and told Jacob what Isaac planned to do, that Isaac was going to bless Esau. Mm -hmm. And so she had this plan to 
deceive her husband, Isaac, and make him think that Jacob was Esau. You probably know the story. This is kind of one of those famous stories in the Bible, the the deception of Isaac, and this was really at the behest of, of Rebekah. I think it's in chapter 27, but let me just, yeah, here it is. When Isaac was so old that his eyesight had failed him, he called his older son Esau and said to him, Son, yes, father, he replied. Isaac then said, As you can see, I'm so old that I may now die at any time. Take your gear, therefore, your quiver and bow, and go out into the country to hunt some game for me. With your catch, prepare an appetizing dish for me, such as I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my special blessing before I die. Now, as I mentioned, Rebecca was listening, so she kind of gave Jacob a heads up. I don't want to read this whole thing. So anyhow, Rebecca said to, to Jacob, her son, he should go out and get two choice kids and prepare this appetizing dish for his father so that he would bless uh, Jacob instead. And so Jacob says, but my brother Esau is a hairy man. Remember, uh. he was hairy in the womb even when he was born. So, And he said, my skin is, is smooth. I, I, I'm not hairy like Esau is. And what if my father feels me and he'll know that, you know, I'm not Esau and curse me instead of give me a blessing. And this is what Rebecca said. Let any curse against you, son, fall on me. Just do as I say. <laughs> Go and get me the kids. So Jacob went and got them and brought them to his mother. And with them, she prepared an appetizing dish such as his father liked. Rebecca then took the best clothes of her older son Esau that she had in the house, gave them to her younger son Jacob to wear. And with the skins of the kids, she covered up his hands and the hairless parts of his neck. Uh -huh. Then she handed her son Jacob the appetizing dish and the bread she had prepared. Bring them to his father, Jacob said, Father. Yes, replied Isaac. Which of my sons are you? Jacob answered his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I did as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your special blessing. But Isaac asked, how did you succeed so quickly, son? He answered, the Lord your God had let things turn out well with me. Isaac then said to Jacob, come closer, son, that I may feel you to learn whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob moved up closer to his father. When Isaac felt him, he said, although the voice is Jacob's, the hands are Esau's. He failed to identify him because his hands were hairy, like those of his brother Esau. So in the end, he gave him his blessing. Again, he asked him, are you really my son Esau? Certainly, he replied. Then Isaac said, serve me your game, son, that I may eat of it and then give you my blessing. Jacob served it to him and Isaac ate. He brought him wine and he drank. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, come closer, son, and kiss me. As Jacob went up and kissed him, Isaac smelled the fragrance of his clothes. With that, he blessed him, saying, Ah, the fragrance of my son is like the fragrance of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give to you of the dew of the heavens and of the fertility of the earth, abundance of grain and wine. 
Let people serve you and nations pay you homage. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. Jacob had scarcely left his father just after Isaac had finished blessing him when his brother Esau came back from his hunt. Then he too prepared an appetizing dish with his game and bring it to his father. He said, please, father, eat some of your son's game that you may then give me your special blessing. Who are you? His father Isaac asked him. I am Esau, he replied, your firstborn son. With that, Isaac was seized with a fit of uncontrollable trembling. Who was it then, he asked, that hunted game and brought it to me? I finished eating it just before you came and I blessed him. Now he must remain blessed. On hearing his father's words, Esau burst into loud, bitter sobbing. Father, bless me too, he begged. When Isaac explained, your brother came here by a ruse and carried off your blessing, Esau exclaimed, he has been well-named Jacob. He has now supplanted me twice. First he took away my birthright, and now he has taken away my blessing. Then he pleaded, haven't you saved a blessing for me? Isaac replied, I have already appointed him your master, and I have assigned to him all his kinsmen as his slaves. Besides, I have enriched him with grain and wine. What then can I do for you, son? But Esau urged his father, Have you only that one blessing, father? Bless me too. Isaac, however, made no reply, and Esau wept aloud. Finally, Isaac spoke again and said to him, Ah, far from the fertile earth shall your be your dwelling, far from the dew of the heavens above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But when you become restive, you shall throw off his yoke from your neck. Esau bore Jacob a grudge because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, when the time of mourning for my father comes, I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah got news of what her older son Esau had in mind, she called her younger son Jacob and said to him, listen, your brother Esau intends to settle accounts with you by killing you. Therefore, son, do what I tell you. Flee at once to my brother Laban, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury subsides, and he forgets what you did to him. Then I will send for you and bring you back. Must I lose both of you in a single day? Rebekah said to Isaac, I am disgusted with life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob also should marry a Hittite woman, a native of the land like these women, what good would life be to me? Anyhow, uh, maybe at our next episode, we'll talk then about Jacob going and finding what happens to him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't marry a Hittite woman. He, go, he goes back to their homeland and he marries Leah and Rachel. But I don't want to get ahead. There are next <laughs> matriarchs. But I, I, I just think this is um, such an interesting story. I'm sorry I, I read so much of it, but I find it so interesting. It reminds me of when I was a kid and in Catholic elementary school, we, we read all these stories. We uh-huh. had a course called Bible History. And anyhow, the, it's good to, to learn about these stories. And, uh, and you know, this, this great matriarch, Rebecca, she was a beautiful woman. She was a woman of faith, although she did deceive her husband Isaac so that Jacob would receive the blessing. Now, just to maybe put this in context, it seems that this was God's will. Mm-hmm. So, Because from the very beginning, they said that the oldest would serve the right, younger one. So. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. It's interesting how God works through 
through through these different ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, if you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we have questions about remaining hopeful during the pandemic and much more that's coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And tomorrow is the Feast of St. Matthias, which is, I, I know very little about him. He took the place of Judas. Can you talk a little bit? Do we know a whole lot about St. Matthias? No, we don't. That's okay. why you don't know much about <laughs> okay, him. Good. The church doesn't know much about him. Okay. We do know that um, he was a member of the Church of Jerusalem, and he was proposed along with another disciple, to, to replace Judas Iscariot. One of them proposed was Joseph called Barsabbas and Matthias. And this is, we can read about in chapter one of the Acts of the Apostles. And the only qualifications that they looked at was that they were choosing one who was a witness to the resurrection. So a disciple who had accompanied that knew Jesus when he walked on earth and also was a witness to our Lord's resurrection, or in Mm -hmm. other words, had seen him. So they had these two, and we read that the apostles prayed about which one, and they gave lots to them, and the lot fell upon Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles to take Judas's place. We don't know anything else about him. Mm -hmm. That's it. But I think that whole explanation of how they chose his replacement is interesting to hear, that they they prayed and then they... Casted lots. Is it like a, did they all vote? Is that what we assume? I don't, I, you know or, what? That's a good question. Or they just draw his name cast. out of a hat? It's kind of like drawing a name out of a okay. hat is how I understand it. All right. Maybe we should do that in choosing bishops today. What do you think? I'm for it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's how I got chosen. I certainly. <laughs> yeah, we don't know what happens behind those closed doors. Uh, all right. Our first listener submitted question. I think a lot of people, myself included, are struggling to remain hopeful during this coronavirus pandemic. Televised Mass is good, but just isn't the same. How can we find hope? Yeah, our hope is in Christ always. Our hope is in Christ. So it's important to be steadfast in our faith. That's where our hope comes from. Hope comes from faith. Mm -hmm. So prayer, prayer is essential. Every time, you know, meditating on the Word of God, praying with the Scriptures, uh, praying the Rosary. I think if we're people of of prayer, we, we... we find hope, definitely. Sure. All right. Well, before we go, I thought, you know, our, our high school seniors, a lot of them are missing out on proms and graduations because of the coronavirus. I wondered if you had any thoughts or reflections on your time in high school as going to prom or other dances. Is that something that you did? Oh, yeah. I had a great time. I have so many fond memories of, of high school. You know, I loved high school. I went to Lebanon Catholic, uh-huh. went to both proms, junior and senior prom. I was really involved in tons of, of uh, uh, clubs and activities in high school. I remember my graduation. I was a salutatorian, and it was a graduation mass. We kind of combined the baccalaureate mass with the graduation ceremony. Uh-huh. So I, I remember that. And, uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of happy memories, really. And 
we thought maybe if you'd be willing to share some photos. Do you have any photos? Yeah, your... I have a few. It's kind of embarrassing. You know how we dressed back in the <laughs> seven, early 70s. Uh -huh. You know, I graduated in 1975. You know, when I looked at my what I wore at my senior prom, there's no way I'm going to let people see that. I, I look like a clown, but that's how we dressed back then. Now, I was a little more <laughs> conservative in the way I dressed as in the junior prom, so I'll, I'll share okay. you that photo. Okay. But yeah, we when I look at our wardrobe back then, it uh -huh. was really crazy. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, if, if you're willing to share those pictures, we'll post them over on Redeemer Radio's social media. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Redeemer Radio. We'll post them there as a, yeah. a little promo for this show. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to share a few, but not the embarrassing ones. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you, Bishop, for another great episode of Truth and Charity. And a reminder that people can find more information about what's happening with our parishes and in the diocese at the diocesan website. And check your local parish as well to find out what they're doing. But uh, thank you, Bishop. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. To listen to previous episodes anytime, search for Truth in Charity on the Apple, Google, or Spotify podcast apps. Or go to RedeemerRadio.com and click on Truth in Charity. While there, submit a question for a future episode. Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.